A reading from the gospel according to John 20 verses 1 through 18. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken the, taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed for as they did not yet understand the scripture that he must be from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they've taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father, and your father to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. And join us as we uh, reaffirm our wonderful, these wonderful truths uh, in the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.
Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for Jesus's resurrection. We thank you that uh, by Jesus's resurrection, it's It's the single thing that is the single event that causes everything else in the Christian life to, to work and to be true and to gives us hope. Father, there is so much uh, nested into Jesus's resurrection. And Father, I pray that this morning you would grant us just a little taste, a little sense of the beauty of Christ's resurrection, the reality of it. Make it vivid to us. And grant us to see Jesus, Uh, just like Mary Magdalene said, I have seen the Lord. Grant us to be able to say, we have seen the Lord. So will you make that happen? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, friends. All right. Christ is risen. Now, here's the thing. So I'm super grateful for Zoom, okay? We can all say that, right? But one of the things I so miss is being able to say, Christ is risen, and then hearing all of you say, he is risen indeed, alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. And I like to go for three alleluias, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, something like that. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. It seems like three is appropriate. So I'm going to say this, and then you just say it, and I'm going to believe. I'm going to believe that you're saying it, okay? Alleluia, Christ is risen. You know, it's kind of cool. I think I saw, I heard my family in the background. That, 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 that was actually kind of cool. So they stood in for all of us. Okay, awesome, awesome. Okay, friends, today's Easter Sunday. And that means that all over the world, uh, in every church in the world, pretty much every Christian in the world is celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And there's a really good reason for that. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is what gives birth to Christianity. It's the thing that makes Christianity alive. So um, you you may know this, 2,000 years ago in the first century, there were quite a few people who claimed to be the Messiah. They kind of popped up at various points over the course of the century. And all of them in the first century, all of them got killed by the Romans. There's kind of a repetitive pattern to their stories. And in every case, when the leader, the would-be Messiah, uh, gets killed by the Romans, immediately the movement dies. Because a dead Messiah is just a contradiction in terms, really. Um, A dead Messiah can't serve as the Messiah, it would appear. And there's one exception to that. Um, And that one exception was Christianity. Um, Christianity, in one sense, followed the same pattern. There was somebody who people claimed uh, was the Messiah. Began There was a following around this person, namely Jesus. And then the Romans killed them following the pattern. And at that moment, everybody expected that Christianity would die with Jesus, just like all the other Messiah movements died with the would-be Messiah at the would-be Messiah's death. But the funny thing about Christianity is that the opposite happened. In the uh, months and years after the death of Jesus, Christianity exploded and it went all over the empire and beyond the empire. Now, why did that happen? Well, if you ask the early Christians, they all come up with the same answer. They all point to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they all say that, that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the decisive difference between their story and all the other would-be Messiah movements at the time. But here's the interesting thing. None of the early Christians, none of the early disciples of Jesus expected Jesus 
to die in the first place. And certainly none of them, once he had died, expected him to rise again. That was not part of their plan going into the story with Jesus. That was not part of Jesus's death was not part of their plan. And Jesus's resurrection was not part of their expectation. And yet despite that, they all claimed that the most important thing about their movement was that Jesus did not do what they expected him to do. Instead, Jesus both died and then rose from the dead. They all came out with the same story. Now, today, we're going to spend a few minutes looking at the very first person to make that big claim, that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Christianity exploded and went all over the Roman Empire and far beyond it. But the very first spark, the very first person to tell the story of Jesus's resurrection was this woman called Mary Magdalene. I love Mary Magdalene. She's a fantastic person. And I want to look at her story and I want to ask two questions from this story. On the one hand, why do we need the resurrection of Jesus so much? And secondly, how does the resurrection give us hope? First of all, why do we need the resurrection so much? Now, look at this story. <clears throat> That's the, the long one, the, the, the second reading. Now, this is the first time anyone sees Jesus after his resurrection. So set the scene. It's Sunday morning, just like it is right now, only probably earlier in the morning. Jesus has died on Friday. The Saturday was the Jewish Sabbath, so everybody stayed home. But early on Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene had gotten up early and had gone to the tomb to finish embalming Jesus because they hadn't finished the embalming process on uh, Friday afternoon. But when she got there, she finds that the the, the, temp, the tomb is open and the body's gone. And Mary is absolutely devastated. Now, you need to know a little bit about Mary to grasp this story. Just to be clear, this is not Mary, the mother of Jesus. This is Mary Magdalene. And she was one of Jesus's disciples. We don't know a lot about her, but we do know that she had a very dark background. Uh, tradition has said that she was a prostitute. Now, we don't know for sure if that's the case. The Bible doesn't make it clear. But the Bible does say in uh, Luke, in the Gospel of Luke, um, the Bible says that when Jesus met Mary Magdalene, that he drove seven demons out of her. Now, the minute we bring up demons, it brings up a whole bunch of questions. But the number seven is important here because the number seven in that culture means total and complete. And the idea is that before Mary Magdalene met Jesus, Mary's life had been saturated with total and complete brokenness and darkness and despair. And Jesus interrupted all of that. And therefore, it makes sense that after Jesus healed her and restored her and flooded her life with light, it makes sense that she was totally devoted to Jesus. So she started supporting him financially, and then she followed right along with the other disciples. And even when Jesus was dying upon the cross, nearly all the other disciples abandoned him, but not Mary Magdalene. She was there. She was there the whole time. She was there watching the whole hellish scene unfold. She stayed with Jesus to the end and beyond the end. She couldn't leave him. Now, why? The, a lot of the other disciples left. Why didn't she leave? Why did Mary Magdalene 
love him so much? Why was she so exquisitely devoted to Jesus at a level and a depth that not all the other disciples were? Why? Well, it's not hard to think about it. Jesus was the only light that Mary had ever known. Jesus was her protector. And her life had been a hellish nightmare until Jesus had intervened. And he had given her light and he had given her hope. And therefore, as Mary Magdalene watched him die, she watched her hope die with him. She watched the darkness snuff out all the light that had been shed abroad in her heart. And that was Friday. And now it's Sunday. And now even his body is gone. And she doesn't even get the comfort of caring for his body. She doesn't get the comfort of making sure it has some level of dignity. And so there she is on Sunday morning. She is weeping at the tomb. And she is weeping tears of complete and utter hopelessness. Have you ever cried until the, the tears stop coming? Have you ever wept and sobbed until your voice gives out and you all you have is that silent cry? And she's thinking, here comes the darkness again. And this is not going to be okay. There's no path from where I am to okay. And and. And when are the demons going to come back? Now, can you see the darkness that she felt? And of course, there's something very human about her experience. There's, there's something that we can identify with here, isn't there? Josh, at the beginning of the service, was, was pointing out that we are in a time in which the darkness seems thick, doesn't it? And we could throw out all kinds of catastrophes that are right in front of us. Especially, you know, it's easy to point to the ones in the news. I mean, there's COVID, which has touched all of us in different ways, but all of us nonetheless. And there's uh, racial injustice, and there's uh, there's all the things from mass shootings, all the things. But those are just the things on the news and many of them have touched us. But nevertheless, if, I, if we were to look into one another's hearts, if you were to look into my heart and if I was to look into your heart, there is pain there that doesn't make the news. And there is a pain and there is a darkness in your heart and mine. And a lot of it resides in the hidden secrets of our souls. And when we have a moment to reflect upon our lives and upon our hearts, if we could look back into it, sometimes we suppress it and we ignore it. But the reality is all of us have experienced pain that has dark and all of us have perpetrated evil that is dark. And some, sometimes the darkness is too thick for us to see light. Have you ever been there? That's where Mary is. There is a darkness that is too strong and too thick to let any light in. And when you're there, have you been there? When you're there, kind words aren't enough. And sometimes even time doesn't heal it. Sometimes the darkness is stronger than we are. And so Mary, when she's weeping at the tomb, she is weeping tears that know no comfort. And she doesn't recognize the angels. 
And she doesn't even recognize Jesus. She thinks he's the gardener. She sees no light until Jesus says one word. Did you catch that? Until Jesus says one word, just one word. There's one word that cuts through Mary's darkness, and it is the word Mary. That one got through. I wonder why. That one got through because she knew that voice. She couldn't recognize Jesus with her eyes, but she could know that voice because it was the same voice that had driven the demons out so long before. It was the same voice whose teaching had shown light into her life. And when she heard that voice and when she heard her name, everything changed. The moment she heard Jesus say her name, she knew instinctively that the darkness was defeated. So why do we need the resurrection of Jesus Christ? We need the resurrection of Jesus Christ because it is the only thing that can give hope in a world that is otherwise dying in the midst of the thick darkness. But now how does resurrection give hope? And I want to show you three ways Jesus's resurrection changed Mary's life and gave her hope. It changed the way she thought about the future. It changed the way she thought about the present. And it changed her deepest relationships. First of all, it changed the way she thought about the future. Think about the Old Testament or the Hebrew scriptures. So Mary's Jewish. She is steeped in the Hebrew scriptures or what we call the Old Testament. And if you look at the Old Testament, um, it, the Old Testament tells us that the world is terribly, terribly broken. It's very realistic about that. And the Old Testament also tells us that God has promised that one day he will heal the brokenness and the darkness of this world. He will undo the brokenness and the darkness and, and what the Bible calls sin. But here's the thing. In the Old Testament, in various passages, you know that God's plan of redemption is in full swing when death is reversed. You see, you see there, there's these passages that talk about God raising the dead. And, and, and that's going to be the sign that you know that the light is shining through into the darkness and that the darkness is being dispelled. Now, keep that in your mind and go back to Mary. Because when Mary hears Jesus's voice... She knows very clearly that he was dead. She had already been involved in embalming him previously on, on Friday. So when Jesus, so when Mary hears her, her name and Jesus's voice, she knows that Jesus is back from the dead. And that means as soon as she had any time to think about it at all, she knew that that meant that God's plan to heal the world was in play. She knew something that just like God had healed and restored Jesus's body. So now Mary knew that God would heal and restore the brokenness and the darkness and the sin of the world that was so thick around her. She knew that the future was secure if Jesus was risen now. And that is called hope, hope for the future. The God's plan is in full play and that God is driving that plan toward a redemptive end. But then the resurrection of Jesus Christ also changed the way she thought about her present. So go back to the story. Do you notice how strange it is that Mary only recognizes Jesus by his voice? She looks right at him, but she doesn't realize it's him until he calls her, not just his voice, he calls her by her name. And that's the moment that she sees him. Why is that significant? Well, in the Old Testament, Isaiah 43, it says this, let me read it to you. Fear not, says the Lord, for I have redeemed you and, note, I have called you by name, says the Lord, and you are mine. 
And when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. And when you go through fire, you shall not be burned and the fire shall not consume you for I am the Lord, your God, and I am your savior. I've called you by name and you are mine. And when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. One of the worst fears that we have, one of the things that makes the darkness so thick and unbearable is the fear of being alone, of walking through pain and suffering and death and doing it all alone. And when Mary is weeping at the tomb, she is utterly and completely alone. She is utterly and completely abandoned. But, but then Jesus calls her by name. And when Jesus says, Mary, it's as if he's saying, Mary, I'm here. I'm back. And you are mine. It's as if Jesus says in that one word, Mary, it's as if he says, Mary, can you remember Isaiah 43 that you heard all those times in synagogue? Do you remember Isaiah 43? It's as if Jesus says to Mary that when you walk through the waters of suffering, I will be with you. They won't overwhelm you, not in the end. It's as if Jesus says to Mary, Mary, I am strong enough to defeat death, and that's why I'm back. I am strong enough to dispel the darkness. I am strong enough to be with you. I am with you, and I will never leave you alone. Mary. Now, can you see how Jesus' resurrection changed everything? See, the resurrection of Jesus does not mean that present suffering stops. We all know that. It didn't mean that Mary's suffering ended in that moment. But it does mean that Jesus can be with us in the midst of the suffering. And if he, if he is with us in the midst of it, then it cannot finally completely destroy us forever. It gives us a hope for the future, but it also gives us a hope in the present because Jesus is present with us now. And that's not just for Mary Magdalene, that's also for us. There's a theologian called John Calvin and he wrote this. He said, in Mary Magdalene, we have an image of our own calling for the only entrance to the true knowledge of Christ is when he first knows us and then intimately invites us to himself, not by the ordinary voice which sounds out in everyone's ears indiscriminately, but by the voice with which he especially calls the sheep whom the father has given him. He calls us by name. And friends, that brings us to today. Because the big audacious claim of Christianity is not just that Jesus rose from the dead 2000 years ago. That's pretty big and audacious. And that is an ambiguous claim of Christianity. But Christianity makes another big claim. And the, the other big audacious claim of Christianity is that Jesus remains alive today, that he's still alive. And in a remarkable way, he calls us by name now. What does that mean? Well, think about Mary. The moment she heard Jesus say her name, she knew that Jesus was alive, but there's also something more. Look at verse 17. Jesus tells her that God is now her father. Did you catch that? Jesus says, I'm ascending to my father. Okay, great. We knew that Jesus was God's son. But he's saying, I ascended to my father and I am ascending to, note, your father. He shares his relationship with the father with Mary. I mean, think of it this way. 
I'm sure that Mary had previously some idea that God loved everyone in a general kind of way. But when she heard Jesus call her by name and then say that I am ascending to your father, one of the things that she realized is that God loved her, Mary, specifically, and that through Jesus, Jesus had arranged her adoption so that she was now God's daughter, that she was bound together with God in a relationship of intimacy and a relationship of family. And so then Jesus calls her to go out and tell all the disciples, and she does. She goes out and she finds the disciples, and the disciples don't believe her at first, but she says, I have seen the Lord. And then she said, tells them Jesus's message that God is now their father as well. And they didn't believe her at first, but eventually they did believe her. And then they went out and told others. And over the past 2,000 years, the word has spread that Jesus rose from the dead. But here's the thing, and this is the really important thing. It's not just that people heard the claim that Jesus rose from the dead 2,000 years ago. It's rather that in every generation, people from every socioeconomic status within each nation and from widely divergent cultures and ethnicities, people in every generation have heard Jesus calling them specifically by name, just like he called Mary by name. And in every generation, Jesus has called us by name to himself and brought us into his family so that we can call God Father, so that we can become the daughters and sons of God, so that we can be united with God in a relationship that animates all of life. And if you put all of that together, you can see why it is that Christians have always been so driven by Jesus's resurrection. It gives us hope for the future. Jesus's resurrection means that God has paid the deposit on his promise to restore to restore the broken world. The plan is in play and death and darkness and sin, they will not win in the end. Not only does it give us hope for the, pre for the future, it gives us hope for the present because Jesus's resurrection means that he is with us in the midst of the present brokenness and pain. He's with you now and we are not alone. And it gives us a deep and transforming relationship where Jesus calls all of us and each of us by name. He tells us that God loves us. Not just everyone generally, but you specifically and me specifically. And we can be known by God and we can know him as our father. Now, can you see why does the Easter transformed Christians? None of the disciples expected Jesus to either die or rise from the dead after he had died. And so if you're skeptical a bit about the resurrection, well, I, there's a way in which you're in good company. But once the disciples were convinced, it changed their lives and they gave all that they had to serve their risen Lord. And so the question for you and me is this, to what extent is Mary's story your story? To what extent is the hope of the resurrection a, a living and motivating and joy-producing and animating reality in your life? Friends, if you're a follower of Jesus, that hope belongs to you. It's your birthright. And if you're still considering Jesus, let me say this. Let me say it audaciously. Right now, Jesus is inviting you into this story. And so let me encourage you to, ask, to do this. Can I invite you to ask Jesus to call you by name? Ask him 
I know that sounds strange, but this is a day full of strange things. So, and very often strange things are good things. Ask Jesus to call you by name today. Ask Jesus to take you into this story, to give you the hope for the future and the present and a present animating relationship with God. Ask Jesus to make all of this vividly real to you, personally real to you, and specifically real to you. Because listen, if Jesus is risen from the dead, then he has risen to answer that prayer. So ask him. And he wants to draw you to a place where you can join with all of his followers in saying, Alleluia, Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. Amen. Hello, everyone. My name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Uh, our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel. And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com give.